Ghosts of Christmas Presents, a seasonal story, written by Tobias Sturt and read by John Millington. Chapter 20 It occurs to Benedict Nail that time must move differently for ghosts. Being creatures entirely composed of memory, their relationship with the past and present is perhaps inevitably fluid. Certainly his sense of time was becoming confused. It feels like he has been travelling around his own living room for weeks, if not months, and yet there is yet no sign of daylight. He is out once again with the legionary and some of his followers, this time retracing their steps back towards the front of the drawer, and still the only light is a faint glow of streetlight sodium orange through the distant window, and, closer, the pinpricks of fire in the goblin hill forts atop the mounds of cables. Could it still be night? Could it still be the same night in which he fell over and found himself here? If it is the same night, then it cannot have been more than hours since he put the carved witch into the nonsense drawer. But Marcus the legionary seems to know of her and where she might be found. He even speaks of her with some trepidation. He who has overthrown goblin kings and built a new camelot among the paper clips and rubber bands. Time runs differently down here. Perhaps it is a function of size. Benedict vaguely recalls something about how impossibly slow we seem to tiny creatures like flies, so that our attempts to swat them are the comical flailings of barely mobile furniture and are therefore easily dodged. Perhaps, though, it is also a function of memory, for what does Benedict Nail know of himself any more? He knows only the recent past. There was a Christmas ornament of a carved witch. Carved by who? Given by who? That he put in his drawer, but why put it away? Then he fell over. Did he trip? And found himself shrunken down to little more than an ornament. Really? Is this a thing that really happened? And lost in a world of ghosts, haunting his own living room. Was it his? Or was it theirs? Beyond that, nothing. He is a creature entirely of the present, and so the present is his entirety, his history, his whole existence. Actually, though, not quite nothing. There is one thing, one more story, one last vivid moment of the past, and it walks alongside him. The ghost of Marcus Flavius Aquila, Tribuni Angus de Clavii, of the 20th Legion, haunts, improbably, after all these centuries, a little metal figure of a Roman legionary, a figurine that is Benedict's, and of which he knows the story. It is a story of his childhood, and it is the last piece of evidence he has for his personhood, his individual reality, and he clutches it to him secretly and fervently. Marcus, meanwhile, is intent on getting Benedict to the witch, they, with a small band of Marcus's followers, are making a swift and hopefully secret raid into the goblin lands at the front of the drawer, where Marcus believes the witch is to be found at the left-hand end. Marcus seems to regard this as some kind of heroic quest, a question of daring and duty, and Benedict is not going to dissuade him of this opinion. All around them the forest of wires and junk is silent and still, and Benedict is disposed to think of this quiet as ominous. It is the sort of silence, he thinks, that is really just a lot of noise and action waiting to happen. It is, 
Of absolutely no satisfaction to him, however, that when they are almost at that front left-hand corner of the drawer, he is proved correct. Benedict Nail cannot even remember owning a T-shaped draughtsman's ruler, and yet here one is, jammed in awkwardly amongst the rest of the rubbish. In the distance it is standing up at an angle on one end of the T-bar, so that the space between the ruler and the crossbar forms a low triangular opening from which a pale green glow emanates. "'The witch's cave,' says Marcus. "'Be alert. Take care.' But no sooner has he spoken than he is answered by a hideous trumpeting and caterwauling from the heights above them. "'The goblin king! Benedict! Run! We're almost there!' They come pouring down the slopes of rubbish, the hordes of the Goblin King. They must have made it to their meeting of the clans because they are far more numerous now, a whole wave of broken bits of knick-knacks and discarded odds and ends rolling down a hillside of tangled string towards them. Marcus grabs hold of Benedict and starts to run towards the witch's cave, trying to get there before the wave breaks over them. But here come the creatures from the other end of the valley too, the Goblin King at their head, barring the entrance under the ruler. The boar at bay, crows the goblin king, lurid in the green light spilling from the cave. Oh, happy day! This one asked about the witch. I knew I would find you down this ditch. Try your best then, says Marcus, and do your worst. The boar at bay is at his most fierce. Fierce you may be, says the Goblin King, but you are but few, and our worst is quite what we intend to do. And at that he rushes them, all his strange lumpen crew with him. Marcus thrusts Benedict behind him, up against the wall of the ruler, beating wildly at his attackers, throwing them back again and again back but they are too many for him. They pile onto him, and by sheer weight of numbers bear him down beneath them, and then up again, now inert and silent, throwing him down next to Benedict. The Goblin King shoulders through the crowd to peer down at them. The Roman and the living man, I have my prize, he says, gloating. All hail your leader, your king, most high. The horde around him all break out into wild cheers, but Benedict is looking at Marcus, lying beside him, not stirring, only the faintest hint of life in him. Marcus Flavius Aquila, who saved him from captivity, dared to help, risked his own safety for him. Marcus, says Benedict in a whisper, I have something to tell you. Once, when I was a child, we were taken to see the ruins of a Roman villa as a treat for my younger brother's birthday. In the gift shop there, I saw a little metal figure of a legionary that I wanted to buy, but I had no pocket money with me. However, my brother also wanted it, and because it was his birthday, it was bought for him. Needless to say, I screamed the place down. I absolutely ruined his birthday treat many of the days after that. I behaved appallingly, I was punished for it, and so behaved even more appallingly in retaliation. But that is not the worst of it, not at all. For while I behaved terribly, my brother was unforgivably, unendurably generous. Because do you know what he gave me as a present that Christmas? The little Roman legionary. 
If you thought I had been furious in that gift shop, it was nothing to my thwarted, selfish anger on Christmas Day, how it burned my heart to have my hatred repaid with kindness, how I hated that legionary, how I despised it, almost as much, in fact, as I now respect it and am thankful to it, because that legionary, Marcus, was you. And at that word, Benedict springs back, because Marcus Flavius Aquila is suddenly upright and aflame in a great sheet of fire and full of all the righteous fury and glory of Rome. You have been listening to The Ghosts of Christmas Presents, written by Tobias Sturt and read by John Mellington. The music is The Path of the Goblin King by Kevin MacLeod of filmmusic.io and our illustrations are by Jamie Lenman. You can find more of our stories at christmasstories.co.uk or wherever you found this podcast and we'd be grateful if you could rate and review us while you're there as well. If you're feeling really generous, we now have a Patreon at patreon.com slash christmasstories where a subscription will get you versions of this story without all these annoying credits and lots of other exclusive material. But all we really want you to do is to listen to the next instalment of The Ghosts of Christmas Presents. (laughs) 